0: How is everyone doing today? Good. Good. You awake at, what time is it, 9.30? You all awake? Good. Well, I um, realized that a lot of you probably don't know who I am or what I do here. So my name is Kate, and I'm a part of the teaching team. That's why you get to see me up here every few months. But along with that, I work on the creative... Um, team here at the church, so things like this beautiful table that gets set up, I'm usually a part of helping to create, or graphics that you see, or the notes that you're holding. I am the project manager, so anything that goes out of our department, I make sure looks good for all of you. So that's what I do here at the church, and along with that, I'm married to a real cute guy who happens to do worship here, and is our Lone Tree worship Pastor. So I feel very blessed with my life. And then we also have um, one little boy named Ezra and another little guy on the way. I am officially very outnumbered in our house, but that's okay. The Lord and me. We got something worked out. (laughs) Just joking. But I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. Um, I think God has something to speak to each one of you. As I was praying, I felt the Lord say fresh revelation. So whether you have heard um, messages like this or you have read the scriptures I'm going to use over and over again, God wants to give you fresh revelation because each time we read his word, it should come alive To you, and it should come alive to us as one body. So I just pray, fresh revelation for each person sitting in this room. We're currently in a series called Detox. If you have missed the last three weeks, please, please, please go online. It's jfc.org. We make it really simple. There's a box and it says watch, and just watch the last three messages. Pastor John um, just gave really life giving messages that I think anyone who didn't hear them will definitely benefit from. So go do that. But today we're going to be talking about detoxing from your enemies. We all have a common enemy, Satan, right? We all have this enemy that is out to kill, still destroy us. And there are steps and there are things that we can do to combat that and to come against him. In Psalm 23, 5, it says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So this beautiful table right here, this is where we're going. The Lord has prepared a feast for each and every one of us who follow after him. He, has, he is waiting for us, he is sitting here, he is calling us, he is beckoning us to come and join him at this feast. But as I... Um, was preparing this message, I think there are some steps, I think there are some things we have to do um, to clear a path, to make a way to get to this table, to come here and to be able to fully celebrate and fully embrace what the Lord has for us. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6, I use the message version for you all this week because I'm pregnant, and I just need things really simple right now in my life. My brain doesn't work necessarily the way it usually does, and honestly, I don't know if it ever will go back to normal. So the message made it really simple and really easy to understand, and it goes like this. The world is unprincipled. It's dog eat dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. Okay. Your enemy is never going to fight fair against you. He's not going to attack you when you're ready for it, when you're prepared for it. He wants to attack you when you're down, when you feel vulnerable, when your back is turned to him. It's unfair how this world fights against us. So walking into it, I I think I've been attacked times in my life and I'm like, this is so unfair. Why? Like why right now in my life do I have to be walking through... Fill in the blank. But the world doesn't fight fair. This is, this is something we are to expect and understand. The enemy isn't going to fight us in a way we want him to fight us. But we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. We don't fight like the world. I think maybe a, a perfect way to describe it is the way the Lord has prepared for us to fight is in an unorthodox way. The way we think we're supposed to battle the enemy is never going to be the way the Lord has called us to fight our enemy. We think, okay, he strikes us like this, so I will evenly strike him in the same way. It doesn't work like that. Joshua had to march around Jericho. That is not a normal, conventional way to fight, and yet it worked because that was the way the Lord called him to do it. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or for manipulation. So we're not necessarily just called to like strike the enemy and then move on, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. We are called to destroy, to demolish the powers and principalities around us that we are not seeing. This is not talking about the world around us that we see with our eyes. It's the unseen world that goes on every single day that we are not always aware of. We are called to demolish those things in our life. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies. I love that because two things. One, we have tools. God has given you tools to destroy the enemy. I think we pray prayers of, God, would you please come in and rescue me? God, would you please come in and save me? And he's saying right here, no, you already have the tools you need. You are ready. You are equipped. You can fight the enemy. And a lot of that enemy is thoughts and ideas our warped philosophies that we either believe about ourselves, about the world around us, about the people around us. Maybe they were things that were passed on to you. Maybe ideas that parents passed on. Maybe um, mentors, people that we highly value in our lives gave us warped philosophies. But we have God tools that can destroy to smash those philosophies. Tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God. That is so important to understand that we are called to tear down the barriers erected against the truth of God. Because here's the thing, the enemy wants to lie and he doesn't just want to lie about who you are. He wants to lie about who God is. And so the the well-worn path for you, right, it looks different for all of us. Our enemy uses different spirits, different ways to attack each and every one of us. It's that path that we continue to face and to struggle. And mine probably looks very different than what yours looks like. And it is always a path that is trying to build up barriers against me and God, against that relationship. So we are called to tear down those barriers, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ every thought you have, every emotion you feel, every action you make, really should fall under this life shaped by Christ. That is his desire for you. That is what life to the fullest looks like, is when all three of those come under life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand. Your tools are ready to go. You have them ready right now in this moment for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. So there's this well-worn path, right? There are the things that you struggle with, the things that the enemy hits you hard with, and he knows. It's unfortunate, but he totally knows. He knows how to get me. He knows the way, he knows my weak spots, and he likes to use those. And I was thinking about this. The things I was struggling with when I was five, so I think fear is absolutely my enemy. It's my greatest enemy in this life, as I struggle with fear. I always have. So when I was five, I used to have these night terrors and unreasonable fears. (laughs) Like I was afraid the world was going to flood and it just would never stop raining and God wouldn't have control over that. That was my greatest fear, right? And it was fear that brought that on. So now I don't struggle necessarily with the world flooding and all of us dying. (laughs) That's not my fear, but there's other fears. There are real life fears that come in. What if this happens to my son? What if this happens in my life? What if we lose our house? What if all these things I start worrying about and I start having fear with? But the Lord, I, I, I asked him one time, God, why does the battle only seem to get bigger? And he said, because you only grow in maturity. So sometimes we feel discouraged by the fact that the enemy has attacked us at a higher level, but be encouraged because you're a threat to your enemy in a greater way than you were five years ago, 10 years ago. The Lord is moving you into obedience, a life of obedience into maturity. So what are some of these paths? What are some of these enemies that we face in our life? So for me, it's fear. Maybe for you. It's anger, you struggle with the spirit of anger. Is there just a part of you that anytime anything goes wrong, the natural response is anger, I'm mad, I can't get over this. And you've prayed, God, please, please, I don't wanna be angry, I don't want to lash out at my kids, I don't wanna feel frustrated with my husband or my wife, would you please take this away? And that's the spirit, that's the enemy you face. Is it pain? Is there pain that stops you, that hinders you from fully living the life that God has for you? Is it anxiety? That's a tough one, right? This that, that unrestfulness that you face in your life, that I can't calm down, I can't relax. Is that your enemy? Is it worry? There are all sorts. You can fill in the blank for yourself. What is it that the enemy likes to walk that path with you. Where does he hit you hard? Today, I felt like God gave me three specific things, three ways that he um, has called us to defeat our enemy. There's three tools. There's three things that we can grab hold of today and use today because the Lord desires for you to be set free. That is his heart for you. That is what he wants for you. And he's saying, here, take it. It's a free gift. You already have these tools. So the three ways to detox from our enemies. Number one is this. Find him in the secret place. Your enemy desperately wants to lie to you and is really, really, amazing at lying to us. And so here's what we think. We think, okay, those lies are lies really about me. That's a lie I believe about myself. So, and, and often we don't even realize they're lies. We think they're truths about ourselves. So I, um, I'm a perfectionist. I strive for that. I like to be perfect in everything I do. And when I'm not, I start comparing myself to those around me. And I go, that person is better. God, I'm really not that great. And I start believing these lies. But here's what God showed me is every lie I believe about myself is really a lie I'm believing about him. Because really, I'm not believing I'm not good enough. I'm believing, God, you didn't make me good enough. You didn't make me the way I was supposed to be. When I can begin to see the truth in that, I can realize, God, that, that's not what I think. That isn't what I want to believe. So I have to know these lies. Or um, I, I worry, God, I'm not gonna be taken care of. I have, to, I have to worry about this. I have to take care of everything and make sure everything's okay and all of that because something could go wrong. Something bad's going to happen. But really the lie is, God, you don't love me enough to take care of me. The lies we believe about ourselves are lies we believe about him. So what does that Second Corinthians scripture say to us? It says, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God. So the enemy wants to come in, he wants to lie, he wants to build that wall of separation between you and Jesus, and the only way to defeat that lie is with the truth of God. So we have this amazing gift of the Bible. And there's life in it and there's truth in it. But here's the second part of what is so wonderful about the Bible, is the Lord wants to come in and breathe fresh life into it each and every time you read it. And in order to do that, you have to spend time with him. You have to find him in this secret place. During our uh, staff fasting and prayer time, my dad spoke on the secret place, and and he said, that place is past the static in your own head. I love that, because it's so true. Matthew 6, 6 says, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, Pray to your father who is in the secret place. He is there waiting for you. He is there calling you. He wants to see you. He wants to share secrets with you about life, about you, about what he feels for you. But sometimes you have to find him. Sometimes you have to push past your own um, desires, your own will, your own flesh. Again, it's not natural. These, these tools that the Lord gives us are not flesh. They're not natural. They're spiritual, and we have to fight for them. Your father who sees you in the secret place, and then your father who sees you in the secret place will reward you openly. If you are looking for a uh, devotional this year, My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers is amazing. And he does a devotion exactly on this whole idea of finding Jesus in the secret place. And I wanna share it with you. Jesus did not say, dream about your father who is in the secret place. But he said, pray to your father who is in the secret place. Prayer is an effort of the will. After we have entered our secret place and shut the door, the most difficult thing to do is to pray. It's not easy. It's hard. It feels weird at first. We cannot seem to get our minds into good working order. And the first thing we have to fight is wandering thoughts. The great battle in private prayer is overcoming this problem of our idle and wandering thinking. We have to learn. This is something that does not come naturally, but we must learn to discipline our minds and concentrate on willful, deliberate prayer. We must have a specially selected place for prayer. But once we get there, this plague of wandering thoughts begins as we think to ourselves, this needs to be done and I have to do that today. Jesus says, shut your door. So at my house, this is not easy to do because I have a almost two year old who has no secret places and knows where I am at all times, at all moments of every single day and little fingers come under doors. Mom, mama, mommy, all throughout. (laughs) Me trying to get into the secret place, so I get it. This is not an easy task. This is not something that is always natural to us. And it's so easy in that moment for me to go, God, I have too much going on right now. He needs me. But really, in that moment, the best thing I can do for my son is fill myself up with the presence of God, is to fill myself up with living out of the overflow of what the Lord has given me instead of living off of the empty that the world has to offer me. Having a secret stillness before God means deliberately shutting the door on our emotions and remembering him. God is in secret and he sees us from the secret place. He does not see us as other people do or as we see ourselves. Who's thankful for that? That God does not always see that God does not see us like we see ourselves or like others see us, but he sees us for who we truly are. When we truly live in the secret place, it becomes impossible, church, for us to doubt God. We become more sure of Him than anyone or anything else. Enter into the secret place and you will find that God was right in the middle of your everyday circumstances all the time. There have been moments where I have felt like I was fighting the battle and I was all alone. And it was because I wasn't spending time in the secret place recognizing he was there. In every moment that I was fighting, he was there with me, walking through it with me. Get into the habit of dealing with God about everything. Unless you learn to open the door of your life completely and let God in from your first waking moment of each new day, you will be working on the wrong level throughout the day. But if you swing the door of your life fully open and pray to your Father who is in the secret place, every public thing in your life will be marked with the lasting imprint of the presence of God. That last part of Matthew 6.6 that says, but the fa- your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. Could it be possible that that reward is that his lasting imprint is on every single thing that we do in our life? That our life would be marked by him. That his presence would be on everything we do because he is the greatest reward. So finding him in the secret place allows us to see life for how it really is, to see the truth of what the things that we are facing and struggling with really are like. And it gives us courage to go and fight the enemy because we have the right mindset of, God, this is who you really are. So that's the first way we detox from our enemy. The second thing is this, a thankful heart. Again, this is not a natural thing. In the middle of a battle, you are not thankful for the battle. You are not like, let me just stop and be so excited that I'm suffering and that I'm struggling and that I'm bloody and that I'm beat down. That is not natural. That is not something we want to do. But the Lord does not work the way we work. And he's not calling us to fight our, our battles the way our enemy fights the battle. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, do not be anxious about anything. So here's a command where it's not an option. It's not like a, hey, maybe you shouldn't be anxious. No, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I, um, last year, went through a season of anxiety. I think I was turning, (laughs) this sounds so silly, but I'm going to share with you anyway, because we're all best friends. But I went through this time last year, I I turned 26, and for some reason in my head, that felt very old. (laughs) I know. I know. (laughs) I get it. I started looking for gray hairs in my hair, like obsessing over it, having my husband, like, check my hair. And it sounds funny, but I was really anxious about it, truly. I was so anxious. And I think what the truth behind it was is, I'm turning, I turned 26 and I was like, okay, the season, the things I dreamed about in my life as a little girl and as a teenager um, are coming into fruition. Like I'm enjoying the fruits of those things. I've gotten married, I'm speaking, I have children. And all of a sudden I just like thought, my son's pretty much graduating now. Like it's (laughs) over and he's won. (laughs) But I'm having these thoughts, like where, where do I go from here? Like what like God, what else do you have in life for me? What do what do I do? How like, like what what do you have? What what more is there, God? Because I'm freaking out here. Cause once that stuff is gone, what then? Like what like what what do I have? And I I'm panicking. And I I would lay awake at night and just like feel, have you ever felt just like that? pressure like that weight of the world on you and i just couldn't sleep and i would be anxious and i I came to the scripture and i was like okay do not be anxious do not be anxious and i tell myself this and then i'd go i'm going to pray i'm going to pray and i'm going to do it over and over and over and i would pray god please take this from me please do this lord i'm in a really bad place i can't handle this and i missed that whole thanksgiving part like I just totally skipped over it because I was like, I don't know what to be thankful about. I, I, like, yeah, like I'm thankful God for all the good things You've given me, but like saying it and meaning it are two really different things. And I wasn't really thankful. I was just stressed. I was like, like the enemy came in, and all good things in my life, I saw the negative to those things. So I go back to the secret place. Like I finally go, okay, I'm gonna go to the secret place. And I go and I sit. I I hide from my son. <laughs> And I sit in the secret place and I hear the Lord. There are moments in the secret place that are just like day-to-day, fill you up. And then there are times in the secret place that it's life-changing, that it's like moments of, wow, this was powerful. And it was one of those moments for me. And I hear the Lord ask me, if you were to lose everything good in your life, like all of it, if everything that you have dreamed about that you have hoped for, that you have worked for, that you love, and you hold most most precious in this life, if you were to lose it all, would I be enough? Of course I say no, (laughs) of course not, God. I gotta have you and those things. But he asks me again, no Kate, everything, if everything's taken from you, am I enough? Like, am I good enough for you? And it, just like in this moment, complete surrender of yes, God, no matter what, you're enough. Because you have given me every good thing. But you, God, this like realization is, God, you are better than life. So no matter what happens in this life, you are always going to be better than those things. And what's amazing when you have that uh, realization is all those things do not hold you down anymore. They're not weights in your life, they're enjoyments in your life because they're not holding you captive. They're not holding you back from the one who loves you most, from your best gifts. On your worst day, on your hardest day, he is still good and he is still great and he is still worthy of all of my Thanksgiving. And I felt like what people needed to hear is this. There are horrible things that have happened to people. Situations, we we have counseled people, we walk through things that are really, really hard that we've heard in this church that no one should have to go through. And God wants you to know, hey, you don't need to be thankful for that. It's not like he's like, be thankful for the suffering you're going through. No, but you can be thankful for him with you in the suffering. And it always changes your heart. It always gives you hope if you are always thankful for him. I'm always thankful for God in my life because he is better than life. And then the third thing is this. You have to, one, you find him in the secret place. you got to have a thankful heart. These go in order too, right? Because before you can thank someone, you have to know someone. So you got to know him. And you got to be thankful for him. And then the third thing is this. And this is where we come back to the table, and it's keep your eyes on him. That Psalm 23, 5 verse you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So here's my table. Here is the feast that the Lord, I think, would prepare for me. It would be really pretty. There would be a lot of flowers at it. We would have a lot of food, though we don't have food here, but you can pretend with me. But it would be beautiful and artistic and creative. This is my feast. This is where the Lord has created um, a place for me to come and celebrate with him. And so at this table, it's probably fear for me, right? My enemies are also here. Because I want my feast to be in a field where it's just me and Jesus and no one else. But the Lord says, hey, the feast is among your enemies. So I can either come and join him or I can stay away. But when you come to the table, you have to recognize your enemies are here with you. I have fear I probably have a little bit of anxiety. Maybe worry is at the table. Maybe on this side, um, in this last season, it's a little bit of anger for, God, why did this have to happen in my life? And others have joined us, and they're all watching this feast, and here's why it's like this, because the enemy hates to see you worship your God. More than anything else, it defeats him when you come and worship the king of kings who is sitting across the table from you. So sometimes this table is really easy to come to. Sometimes this is an easy feast to come and join in when you have normal worries, when, it, when life is good, when it's just like you um, deal with your enemies instead of fighting with your enemies. But in this last season of my life, um, it has not been easy, and here's why. I do not have easy pregnancies. I'm pregnant, see? But they're they're not easy. They're not, when I was little, I used to dream about this time in life, and it has not been what I thought it would be. Um, the first pregnancy I had to fight for, I was really, really sick the entire forty weeks. And then at thirty four weeks, I had to go in and I to the hospital and I was hospitalized for a week because um, I had two kidney infections, and I had these dreams about the enemy wanting to come and steal my son from me. Like, just like, not easy. And I had to fight for it. So this pregnancy comes along, and I pray, God, please. Please, I don't want it like that again. I want it I want to come to this feast and I want to enjoy it. And the first part of it was pretty good, normal, I would say. So this was easy. Like the fear were normal fears of well, I hope my kids smart. <laughs> I hope he's cute. <laughs> Those kinds of things. I hope it's a girl. <laughs> Didn't happen. It's okay. But Then at about 30 weeks, five weeks ago, I went in to the doctor, and I go in for the routine um, gestational diabetes check. And I fail the, like, uh, first test. So they go, oh, there's no way you have this. You're at a healthy weight. You're young. You have no family history. Just come back in. Let's make sure you don't have this. Go back in. And I fail the second test. And they go, okay, so you do have gestational diabetes. And all of a sudden, this feast does not feel like a feast anymore. And this table feel, feels like it's been um, ransacked by my enemies and that they've robbed me again of something that should be so enjoyable in my life. And I'm, I'm sitting with doctors and they're telling me that it's a high-risk pregnancy and there's all these things that could happen and what ifs, and my eyes are no longer I'm Jesus. And I'm no longer looking at him, but I'm looking at fear, and I'm going, what if this happens to my baby? What if I have to deliver him preterm because I get preeclampsia, like they say I could? Or, God, what what if the diabetes doesn't go away like they say there's a possibility. Or now, God, I'm at risk for this for, for later in life, and my baby could be at risk for this. Why? And, and he goes, keep your eyes on me. I hear him. Like I hear him across the table, keep your eyes on me. And I go, nope, I got to take care of this first i got to deal with my enemies first, and I'm really angry, God. God, I'm so angry because this isn't how it's supposed to be. This isn't the way I'm supposed to feast and I'm supposed to enjoy this. You were supposed to take care of it, so I I can't look at you right now. And he goes, keep your eyes on me. And church, on your hardest, longest, scariest days of battle, the most difficult thing you can do is not focus on the enemies that surround you and feel like they're caving in on you. It's to turn to him and to keep your eyes on the king who loves you more than you could know. So I turn to him and he goes, you have a choice. You can look at me or you can look at your enemies, but you can't look at both. So I'm going to choose to keep my eyes on him. And I get it. This is like, this is the realest, rawest thing I'm doing right now. This is something that is so hard right now to not go, what about this? What is going to happen in this moment? It's just, God, I got to keep my eyes on you because Just like I said in that Thanksgiving moment, no matter what happens, he is enough. He's enough and he's good. And If I lose everything, he's enough. So are your eyes on him today? Are you in a place right now where you're struggling and your eyes need to be on him? I want to pray for you. Father, I come before you right now, and I feel your presence in this room. I sense you talking to your people, to your loved ones. And you're saying, keep your eyes on me. If you are struggling right now, if you are feeling attacked, if you are in your hardest, longest battle, I want you to raise your hand because I want to pray for you. I think God wants to do something for you today. Okay. All over this room. Because the enemy loves to fight us, right? You're not alone. I'm up here fighting a battle too but keep your eyes on him. Father, I pray right now for these people, for the the courage, Lord Jesus, to turn their eyes away from their enemy and to turn them onto you, Father, because that is the greatest tactic we have as Christians, is to worship you in the middle of a battle, is to stop and go, I will not focus on my enemies. God, I will choose to put my focus on you. And when I do that, may worship break free out of my hands, out of my mouth, inside my heart. God would worship flow out of me for who you are. And when you do that, I see right now the enemy's knees bowing because they have no power over you when your eyes are on him. So when you leave this room, may you remember to keep your eyes on him, to thank him, and to find him, because he loves you, and he cares for you. God, we give you everything that you've done in this room. We give it up to you, and may the enemy not rob one person from the truth you spoke today. May these words be hidden in people's hearts, Father God. I thank you, I thank you that we don't have to fight like the enemy, but we just get to worship you, and that is our greatest tool. We give you this day, Jesus, we give you our enemies, we give you our battles, and we thank you, in your name, amen.